So I kind of really, <laughs> I just, I'm going to watch this again and again and again. It's so good. So many truths. You know, um, and thank you, Tom, for, for making uh, these videos for us. That Each of these videos has been like a conversation that lasted about an hour, reduced down to get the golden nuggets of really helpful things. So I want to encourage you to watch them again and again. They're on our YouTube channel. And um, I don't know, I, I, was just, I was just provoked by the, the gift of faith in that, in that uh, video we just saw. I'd love to be on the other side of the conversation in heaven when Hannah prays her prayer. Lord, I've got some flowers I've bought. You tell me what to do. And the Trinity is suddenly sent into panic. What are we going to do? We need somebody to give these flowers to. They're going in the bin unless we respond to her. So, and uh, of course, God, God loves it when we step out in faith and we give him the opportunity and part of being a great commission people is to be those who are characterized by acts of faith and stepping out. That's what the early church did. And we're characterized by a great love for God and a great love for people. You know, one time Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest thing we could do with our lives? And he said, actually, there's two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So that's the first thing. He says, here's the second thing. You, you must love your neighbor as yourself. And then the guy asking the question, he said, he, said, I, he said, can you just clarify who my neighbor is? And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, which is very well known in and out of churches. And somehow that's got synonymous with social action down the years. But here was the point that Jesus was making. He said, your neighbor is everybody in the world. Everybody that you meet. And so the Great Commission flows out of the Great Commandment. It's to love God, it's to do what he says, and it's to love the world. It's to love everybody we meet. And there's a danger. Jesus said in the last days, he says, the love of many will grow cold. Now, what does that mean? It means that Christians, people like you and me, unless we guard our hearts, there can be a danger that we love God a little bit less and we love people a little bit less. And I don't know about you, but the greatest challenge in the Christian life I find is to keep loving him and giving the place he deserves and to keep prioritizing and loving people who I wouldn't naturally choose to love. So there's a, there's a phrase, right, that's, um, that's growing in popularity amongst the young workforce. It's called quiet quitting. Have you heard of that phrase? Some of you have. It's been on TikTok and stuff. And employers are now clocking this phrase because it, it's a really scary thing that's happening amongst younger employees in the workforce, which, which is this, that people don't just quit their jobs anymore and say, I don't like this, I'm leaving. They quiet quit, which basically means they decide to keep their job, but they dial down to the very, very minimal expectations of what is required so they can get by and have a quiet life and get paid. So you clock in at nine, and you clock out at five. You take a full hour for lunch, and if a job could be done in 20 minutes, you take an hour to do it. And nobody really asks any questions, other than they say, well, you seem a little bit slow, but maybe you are a bit slow. Quiet quitting. Now, I just wonder sometimes if, as Christians, sometimes we can become quiet quitters. That sometimes we know that the Great Commission, we're going to read the verses in a second, we know the Great Commission, we know the God's plan, but there's something in us that just dials it back, and we say, well, love God with all our heart, love our neighbors, ourselves. Well, why don't I just love God a little bit? 
And why don't I just care for my nearest and dearest? And whenever we do that, we're just taking a step back into ourselves and away from God's wonderful purpose for our lives. Now, if you follow that to its logical conclusion, because we're saved by grace, what is the minimum required of us? Nothing at all. (laughs) We We didn't become Christians. We didn't get loved by God because of anything good that we did. We didn't become Christians because he needed us on the team or that we were good employees for God. He loved us when we were far, when we were enemies from him, when we were doing all the wrong stuff, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for quitters. He died for quiet quitters. He died for people like you and me. So here's the thing. If we dial down, well, what does God need us to do? Well, nothing at the end of the day. But here's the truth. If we take that attitude, we will miss out on the joy and the wonder of partnership with Jesus in this life, friendship with him. We can be right with him, we can enjoy heaven, we can enjoy eternal life, but we can miss this thing that we are with him and he's with us and we have stories to tell. So let's beware of moving into idling mode as believers, as followers of Jesus. We need God to stir us afresh with his spirit to say that we need him. And this verse, the verse we're going to look at today in the Great Commission, it speaks very clearly about our need of him. So let's read the verses as we've read each week. And we start Matthew 28, verse 16. It's just before Jesus ascends to heaven. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. This last verse, it's the final all in these statements. So all authority belongs to Jesus. All nations are to have the opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. All things that Jesus commands are to be taught to those who follow him. And all of him will be available to all of his people for all of time. Something we're to understand about the Great Commission is it's not simply the mission of the church. It's the mission of Jesus. It's the mission of God. It's the mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the world today to bring this to pass. And it starts with Jesus, his authority, his power, his position. And it ends with Jesus with us always to the end of time. You could think of it as a sandwich. Anybody feeling hungry yet? It's getting close to lunchtime, isn't it? Okay, so here's the sandwich. Here's the top bit of bread. All authority. It's Jesus at the top. At the bottom, it's Jesus with us to the end of the age. What's in the middle? Well, there's this bit about that we're being told to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to pray everything I've commanded you. Jesus, Jesus. And then this strange ingredient in the middle, us. Doing what God says. Any of you here fussy eaters? 
I can be a little bit sometimes, if I'm honest. Anybody ever go to a shop and buy a sandwich and open it before they eat it? Yeah? And, you know, coronation chicken. Who puts raisins in coronation chicken? (laughs) Clearly, they have to be picked out before you eat it. It's a messy business, but it has to be done. Who, Who eats a Big Mac with pickles in it? They have to come out, don't they? Am I right? Yeah, thank you. I hear some amens, yeah. So, I don't know. If I was God, and I was wanting to feed the world, and I was wanting to tell them the good news about Jesus, I think, well, I've got some high confidence in the bread. Jesus, top and bottom, this is good. But I might open the sandwich and think, who are these guys? <laughs> Thomas? Peter? They don't seem fit for the bill. They don't seem to belong in this sandwich of God preaching the good news of creation and salvation, sorry, salvation to the world. In the middle, we have us, hesitant, doubting, sometimes timid, inadequate. Here's the amazing thing. God doesn't pick us out of his sandwich. He deliberately puts us in. You thought about, you think, this isn't me. Well, You found yourself in this mission, whether you chose it or not. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a a battle where God won the battle by getting rid of all the most talented people. It's the story of Gideon, and and he he made all the best people go away. And Gideon won a battle with a handful of people using God's strategies and God's methods. But perhaps the bigger challenge for us isn't that we don't believe God can include us. It's this, we don't see ourselves in that role. We don't see ourselves as being great commissioned people. Here's two challenges, that, two, two excuses that we'll often have in our head when we talk about God using us. Firstly, we'll say this, well, it's not really my remit to do anything about it. And this is true in life in general, isn't it? Not my job. And secondly, I don't have the skills. I don't have the gifts. It's not my place, and it's not my grace. But here's the amazing thing about this sandwich. Jesus, it is his place, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And if we're lacking grace, if we're lacking skill, he says, well, don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you, and I've got all that you need. So we're going to look at this verse. I'm surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's the very, very last verse in Matthew's gospel. That tells us that this is the very last thing that Matthew, the author of that gospel, he wants to leave us with. And what you actually find is it's a theme throughout Matthew's gospel, the presence of God with us. In Matthew chapter 1, we'll have a carol service later this year. We'll read these words, no doubt. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's there. It's at the beginning of the gospel, and it's at the end. And it's in the middle as well. Matthew 18, verse 10, Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus isn't over there somewhere, out of sight, out of mind, but he is present with his people. The incarnation brought about a new era. So I want us to see three Ps today from this verse, okay? Three Ps. The promise, the invitation to partnership, and to perspective. So it starts with the promise. He says, surely, surely I am. Surely I am with you. Surely. You know when you say surely to somebody, you're trying to get their attention, don't you? 
you might be slightly annoyed at them. You might be, surely you've seen this. You might say the word lo or behold if you're reading a different translation. It, it's, a, it's a, anybody got that translation? No. Right, so um, it, it's an interjection. It's a literary thing to say, hey, whatever we were just talking about, I really, really need you to understand this point. He's not said a whole lot. It's just been a paragraph. But even at this point, Jesus interjects and he says, by the way, yeah, what happens when you're on a phone call and the other person stops talking? You usually say something like, hello. <laughs> Jesus, he could be saying, surely, he could be saying, hello. He wants us to step into this truth that we're reading because it's a promise that he is with us. When Moses was at the burning bush, and God called him to go and speak to Pharaoh to deliver the people of Israel. And Moses famously responded something like, here am I, Lord, please send somebody else. And God said, no, I, I'm sending you, Moses. I am sending you. And Moses said, well, who shall I tell them? Oh, oh Lord, who, who shall I tell them has sent me? And he says, tell them that I am who I am. He says, tell them that I am has sent me to you, sent you to them. And he went. He went to Pharaoh with a promise that I am. He said, that's all he had. He said, well, I am has sent me. Well, Jesus is the great I am. He's God in the flesh. And he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. When the early disciples, when they came up in opposite, against opposition in Acts 4, and the, the, the authorities said to them, well, you've got to just stop using the name of Jesus from now on. You've got to stop talking about this stuff and we're commanding you. And they just shrugged it off. Do you know why? Because they had a higher authority. They had I am with them. They, they remember these words like, well, Jesus, he's with us. You might be saying that, but he's with us here and he's saying something different. So we're going to carry on. Let me articulate this as simply as we can. The early church didn't grow because of marketing professionals or expertise or salesmen. It grew because 11 hesitant followers of Jesus believed that Jesus was with them. So they didn't speak on their own initiative, but on his. And the question for us is today is, will we be a people who believe him and believe that he is with us? I've been trying to put this into practice in my own life in the last couple of years. And I don't know, I don't know how it is for you, but when I have something coming up this week where I feel it makes your heart sink or some kind of thing, that you think, oh, no, oh, Lord, I need your help with that. When I write it in my diary... I try and pray a prayer, and I say, Lord, I, I, I'll thank you that you're actually going to be with me. In that moment when I'm having that meeting or that thing, that challenge that I'm doing this week, I thank you that you're with me. Do you know what happens when I pray that prayer? Anxiety goes. If you're worried about work tomorrow morning, you don't, don't waste your Sunday worrying about work. Just thank God that he's going to be with you tomorrow morning when you start work. But let's apply this in terms of the world and, and reaching people who don't yet know him. I find I can be a bit of an introvert sometimes. I, I, you know, do you ever have days when you just can't be bothered? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, I, I took uh, my son Ben to the rugby yesterday. He was playing rugby, and I've been, I've been on a thousand sidelines with a thousand parents over many years. And, and yesterday was one of those days. I just, I'm, I'm not. No, I'm just. 
I've got important messages on my phone that I'm just going to check through right now. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody today. And as I was checking through the messages, just this very message that I was preaching today came to me. And God said, well, yeah, but I am with you. I am with you. So then it changes the perspective. It changes the situation. And now I'm looking around thinking, well, who, who can I have a chat with? I just had a great, I had a great chat with somebody on the sidelines yesterday. and we, it, just, it was totally brilliant. But that only happened because... In a moment, I began to sort of step into the fact, well, God is with me. There's something to be believed. He is with you. It's a promise. And that promise works through partnership. Here's the second P. You ready for this? Um, I am with you. It's a partnership, right? So let's think of some of the great partnerships of history. I'll say one, and I want you to say the other name, okay? These famous duos, right. Here we go. Lennon. Tom. Romeo. Thelma. Jekyll. Burke. Mario. Yeah. Bat- Batman. Laurel. Ants. Wallace. Starsky. You. (laughs) The famous duo that will be talked about in eternity, according to these verses, I am with you. Jesus is not afraid to partner with you. Isn't that amazing? All of these names that are just synonymous with one another. You and Jesus are synonymous with one another in terms of his call upon your life and his mission through you. It's a commission. The word com means with. It's a, it's a mission with somebody. It's not a delegated mission. It's not a mission where Jesus says, I'm off, you do the job, and you report back how the progress is going. He says, no, I'm gonna, it's, the best kind of, it's the best kind of leadership, isn't it, when somebody does it with you. He says, I'm going to show you how to do it. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of um, the, the mouse and the elephant who were best friends. And they were walking through the jungle one day. And uh, it's, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but... Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> but they were walking through the jungle. And they came across a, a rope swing bridge that they had to cross. And it had big kind of cro- cracks in the planks. And, and the, the mouse looked slightly worried. And, and the elephant says, well, just hop on my back, mouse. We'll do it together. And so the mouse jumps on his back and he just clings on and, and the, the elephant just begins to cautiously tread on these planks and it begins to creak. And as he shifts his weight from side to side as he crosses the bridge, so the bridge begins to swing. And it gets to the middle and the swing is going full pelt and it's like, wow, it's like a pendulum going back and forth. This little mouse is just clinging on, squealing with delight. He says, this is great. And they get to the other side, and the mouse hops off. And he looks at the elephant, and he says, wow, we really made that bridge swing. <laughs> you see, what did the mouse contribute? Well, he clinged on. What did the elephant contribute? Pretty much everything. In this partnership of the Great Commission, what's your part? Well, you're, you're the active kind of holder on to Jesus. He does the work. He is the one who opens the doors, yet he does it delightfully with us, and he does it with delight. You know when Jesus sent out the 72, and they came back filled with 
joy. It says, even the demons submitted to us in your name, Lord. They were pretty pleased with themselves. You know, Jesus didn't give them a ticking off and say, you're getting a bit big for your boots. It says this in Luke 10. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit. Next slide, please, Josh. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. He loves it. Maybe the lesson on humility was for another day. God has many lessons he wants to teach us, but he loves it when we step out and we partner with him. Here's my ask of you and me this week, that we don't just see ourselves as being on our own. Lone rangers firing prayers to God in times of need. He's with us. That's the only way we can make sense of these very ordinary New Testament believers, all 11 of them, with God's help that they were going to share the gospel with the whole world. Their fearfulness was countered by his boldness. Their brashness was countered by his compassion. Their lack of articulateness, articulation, being articulate, was (laughs) overcome by his ability. You say, I'm not an evangelist. Your partner, Jesus, says, well, I am, and I invented the good news. You say, I'm not very good with people. Your partner, Jesus, says, well, this is great because I made people. I'm a bit of an expert. (laughs) You say, I don't know what to say. Jesus, your partner, says, well, great, I can give you the words. How is he with us? What did Jesus mean when he said, well, I'm going to be with you? Because he was going to ascend. He was going to disappear from them bodily, physically. He was not going to be there. Well, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. You read about that in Acts 2, but in John chapter 14, you read Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit, the companion, the one who is just like Jesus. Six things about the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for this? Quick fire, right? Write some notes if you, if you, if you can. It's not an acronym. You won't remember it, but here we go. <laughs> Firstly, he walks alongside us. John 14, verse 16. He says, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Another. He's basically saying he's just like me. He's just like me. You haven't got some inferior friend. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. Here's the second thing he does to help. He reassures us with our true identity. John 14, verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, when you're in church, when you're in the presence of the family of God, it's good, isn't it? That's why we come. We love it. We we love to be amongst family. We We feel the sense of God's love and the sense of family. When we're out in the world and we're doing our thing and and we have an opportunity to share about Jesus, we can feel a bit on our own. And as Hannah said in the video, we can just feel a bit vulnerable. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He reassures you in that moment that you belong to him. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You can know God's presence powerfully when you are on your own and sharing him with the world. Here's the third He reminds us of what Jesus has said. Do you find yourself forgetful? I'm not very good with the Bible sometimes. Well, 
The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Here's the fourth thing. He says, he'll help you answer difficult questions. Luke 12. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. We, we get worried that if we might get asked difficult questions, therefore we think, I'm not going to share my faith as actively. Jesus says, well, if you share your faith, I'll give you the words. Here's the fifth thing. He helps us by giving us great commission gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the resurrected Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's these five gifts that God gives to the church and I would argue they're great commission gifts because apostles, they're sent into new places to break ground for the gospel. Prophets are those who hear God. Where are we to go? Where's God calling us to be? Where should we preach? Where should we plant churches? Evangelists, well, they share the good news. Pastors, well, they're meant to be those who pick up the lost sheep and chuck them on their shoulders and bring them home. Teachers are are there to articulate the the basic truths of the faith to, to enable people to walk in freedom. But that verse actually says more than, well, isn't it good that we have those ministry gifts in the church? And actually, they're, they're widespread gifts. I'd expect there to be all of those gifts many times over in this church. But it says more than that. What does it say the primary job of those gifts is in that verse? Verse 12, beginning of verse 12, the first two words. To equip. To equip God's people for works of service. It's not the remit of the evangelist to tell people about Jesus. It's the remit of every follower of Jesus who is equipped by an evangelist. That's why Paul could say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.5, Timothy, who was a, a mature Christian leader, he says, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. And Timothy was probably like, well, Yeah, but that's not my main thing, Paul. I'm more of a pastor-teacher guy. And Paul says, well, yeah, but there's a job to be done, Timothy. Do the work. Do the work of an evangelist. Here's the sixth and final thing that the Holy Spirit does. He directs us. Galatians 5, verse 25. Uh, Hannah quoted this in in her video. Keep in step with the Spirit. The Living Bible puts it this way. It says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit just drawing alongside us in our day-to-day, and that it's helpful to, to, to know that. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is stepping out in front of us and saying, keep step with me. Um, sometimes uh, me, Luke, and Chris, the, the elders of Kings, we go on a walk together. And we'll walk up a hill and you know, I'll just be talking away, sharing my heart. And then I'll notice that they're like 30 meters ahead of me. <laughs> and, and I'll do my best to sort of catch up. And they do that thing where they pause and they wait for me to catch up. 
And I'm like, thanks, guys. And then they just set off again. And I'm like, well, hey, hey, what about the break? And they're like, we've had our break, yeah. And I have to learn to keep in step, to walk a little bit faster so I don't fall behind. Keep in step with the Spirit. I think God's calling us to exciting days ahead where he's stepping out in front of us. And we'll be like, oh, I, I was going at this pace. He's calling us to just quicken our pace a little bit so that he can use us in his great commission. So that's the second one, partnership. Okay, so we've got the promise, we've got partnership, and here's the third one, perspective. Um, Jesus uses this phrase, to the very end of the age. I'm with you, to the very end of the age. It's an eschatological phrase. That's a long word, but it basically means it's, it's about the future. He said, I'm with you to the end of the age. Should we draw a picture? <laughs> Great, thanks. Um, okay, so uh, here's the end of the age right here, okay? And um, here's, here's creation, the very beginning of time. And uh, Hebrews chapter 1 says this, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. You can pop that up on the screen, Josh, if you like. Um, so, so this is what Hebrews is saying. He says, there's a time. Let's call it Jesus 1. When the Son of God comes into the world and shorthand, the, the, the writer of Hebrews, he just refers to everything else as the past, Okay. And there were prophets and God speaking in different ways, Abraham, all of these amazing things. But here's the, here's the main point of revelation in human history. Jesus comes into the world, born of a virgin. Then, well, Jesus says, I'm with you to the end of the age. So here's, here's our next point. End of this age. And that clearly indicates that there's an age to come as well. So if you would look in Revelation 21... Uh, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is a future picture. Look, the, God, the God's dwelling place is now with the people. You can put the next slide up, please, Josh. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death, mourning, or crying, or pain. The old order of things has passed away. So this is the age to come. So... Here we have eternity. This is going to be amazing. Believing in Jesus, you're going to enjoy eternal life forever and ever. It's going to be amazing. And it's perfect. All the tears wiped away. Um, we've got the past, which is before Jesus. So here we have Jesus 1 and Jesus 2. The end of the age is characterized by Jesus coming again. So when Jesus says, I'm with you to the end of the age, he's talking about this bit. So between when he was here on the earth 2,000 years ago, and when he will come again, he's saying, I'm with you. We have a phrase that we use in life, day to day. You'll probably have used it today sometimes. You'll go up to somebody and say, well, how's your week? I don't know if you're like me. You're just like, oh, I don't know. Week's not long enough to evaluate, is it really? <laughs> much the same as the week before. Much the same as next week will be. Here's the exciting thing about living for Jesus and being a follower of him that he doesn't evaluate your life day to day, week to week. He's kind of, take, kind of taking the big long-term view. He's talking about this age, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're not saying to each other, how's your week been? 
They're saying, how's your age been? And Jesus would say, well, on day one, he says, well, I've started with 11 here, 11 disciples. And if you were to ask Jesus that, well, how many disciples in the world? He says, well, there's about 2.2 billion. Overall, that's going relatively well. But here's the thing that characterizes this age. Every single day, Jesus is with his people. We live in an anxiety-inducing world. We tend to have our minds sucked into whatever the latest crisis is, COVID, Ukraine, war, nuclear weapons, cost-of-living crisis. These are all tiny, tiny, tiny blips in this timeline where Jesus is with his people from when he first comes into the world and when he will come again. And as believers, he wants us to step back from our day-to-day and to find our greatest comfort and assurance in the fact that he's never going to let go of us and that he's going to be with us every day. And sometimes it's hard to imagine this in this European sort of world that we live in where Christianity seems to be often in decline. Can we just put up the, the map, please, Josh? I came across this the other day. I don't know if you can see it. It's quite small, but it, it shows us. I thought this was just interesting. In 1900, the, the map on the left that you see, um, the, the center of sort of Christian life was in Europe. We, we've experienced a lot of decline over this last 100 years, people stopping going to church. But interestingly, what's happened at the very same time is that the global south has come alive and millions and millions of people have come to Christ. And the, the center of Christianity has just shifted south over this last 120 years. God is doing his work. He's commissioning his people and he's sending them into the world. And if you're from one of these nations where Christianity is growing and expanding, we're so glad that you're here with us in in Scotland right now because your faith is going to bring us into the plans and purposes God has for us. I'd love to pray for you in a moment. And we're praying that God will turn our continent around and bring many people to know him. Okay, we're going to wrap up in just a a moment. I don't know if you've heard this story. It's called, Whose Job Is It Anyway? It's a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. That's kind of of what the Great Commission is saying. It's the remit of anyone. The good news of Jesus being shared with the nations of the world this nation and every nation. Our generous, amazing God has put that gift into our hands. And he says, I could do it without you, but I'd love to do it with you. He's made us his ambassadors. Interesting thing, I was looking for songs that talked about going and mission. and um, It seems like songwriters don't really write them anymore. 
Um, I looked up the word Go in a, in a, in a uh, song database in the UK, and um, it came up with, Lord, never let go. And it's like, no, no I, don't, I want us to go. Um, so we're going to sing an old hymn, which they seem to write hymns about this all the time in the past. And uh, I wonder if we need to be those who sing more about these things, about God's gospel being with us and also helping us, but also sending us. So uh, let's, let's sing, and then I'd love us to come back and just pray for a few things together in just a moment.